Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Kai podcast. Uh, this is our fifth episode, and we're joined by a really, really special guest. Um, Eric Mahew is actually the head of growth at ShopX, has had a lot of different experiences in entrepreneurship and growth product, and I think this is going to be an awesome conversation and masterclass about, you know, for young entrepreneurs, um, how to think about these kinds of things and, and also just learn a lot more about his story and the cool stuff that they're doing at ShopX. Um, yeah, so without any further ado, Eric, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. Nice to meet everyone. My name is Eric. I'm 29 years old. I'm blessed to be living in beautiful Southern California. Past work, work experience, I interned in Barcelona as a project manager, uh, government, government affairs consulting internship in D.C., which was mainly BS. But my first real job out of college was at Snapchat. So that was for their ad algorithm team, trying to make their ads sticky. The intention behind that was it was right before their IPO and right after. So I just kind of wanted to see what that was like going through that experience. It, it was pretty fun. Then from there, we founded a social car, a social commerce platform called CarkRev. It had a different name at the time, Polony, but Polony Carver were the same thing. And what that solved was it replaced affiliate code. So in the affiliate marketing sector, the codes don't really work. They don't track properly. So what we did was we created a singular, singular link where one person could sell all their products. So as a brand on Shopify, you can upload your products to our platform with a discount. Then anyone can come in. Like I could go into our platform. It's like, I like this Nike shoe, Adidas hat, this Reebok backpack, and sell all of those from one link. My friend can buy it. They get the product with a discount. I get the commission. Brand gets a sale. Everyone's happy. At its peak, that company had over a hundred Shopify brands using it, and we took that or I took that experience and really transferred it into over what we're doing with ShopX. So what ShopX is is when you guys think of ShopX, I want you to think of the Google or Apple of Web three. We're a suite of products that were designed to be as simple as possible for a brand to download an app and then interact with Web three for whatever their business needs are. Presently, we have two products live. The first one is ReserveX. That's a NFT-powered loyalty program. So as a brand, you're on Shopify, you don't know what a smart contract is, you don't know what Ethereum is, you can deploy your own NFT collection within five minutes, and then you can program an e-commerce benefits to that NFT. So it's not just about hype. So I could buy like a Nike NFT and get specific products, discounts on products, and cool stuff like that. That was just a brief summary. So we're working... Yeah, yeah good. Yeah, um... Thanks for that kind of high-level overview. I think that uh, I'd love to like get more specific into the different things that ShopX is doing later on. But um, you know, zooming out more about you, I know you mentioned that you had some experiences working in kind of the public sector, the policy sector. Um, you know, said that was BS. Moving into tech um, and the kind of exploring entrepreneurship. Like, for you, why was it this journey? Why did you decide that you know you wanted to build things, work in tech, and just be in the space? Sure. So. When I was in college, I was I was at the University of California, Irvine, just getting good grades, planning to get like a standard job. So my two jobs out of college were, so I interned at the Government Affairs Consulting Internship because I'm like, okay, consulting seems to pay as well. I should probably work at Bain or McKinsey or one of those companies. And so my I, one of the jobs I had was a restructuring consultant. So what that means is you just move around debt for a Fortune 500 company going through bankruptcy. And at that point in time, I was really diving into the ethos of Bitcoin, like no rent seeking, the money system is stealing from us. So obviously those two don't mesh. And at the consulting job, I was fortunate. So we obviously 
build out the clients for my hours. So I could work at a slow pace, listen to podcasts like these. So this is where I really went hard with like Cypher D and Andreas Antonopoulos. So I was just consuming information all day while at the consulting job. I'm just like, okay, this doesn't exactly line up. So what I did there was I waited for my bonus, obviously. <laughs> and then I quit right after that. And I started going to, and at that point I was reading excessively, like reading entrepreneurship books, like anti-fragile stuff like that. So anything I get my hands on is reading. I'm like, okay, I have a good base. I quit my consulting job. Then I started going to networking events in the crypto space. Cause at that time, like that's where I went to work. Then we met the original ShopX team at one of these crypto events in Long Beach. We hit it off and here we are. Awesome. Um, wow. I think I, it's, it's so cool to hear. Like, I think hearing about a lot of successful entrepreneurs who, you know, are, are young and, and their kind of moment or story is working a regular job or going to regular school and kind of not feeling that itch and consuming just a bunch of information. Thankfully, like we live in an age where all that information is so tangible and accessible and, you know, hearing that, you know, just reading books is really what got you up and out and to start doing things. It's, I think it's pretty inspiring for just, you know, that kind of proves that just anybody um, who wants it bad enough can, can take on this path. And um, I guess that kind of led you first, even before ShopX, to CartRev. Uh, I know you kind of mentioned what CartRev did, but, you know, you as a person, like, it looks like you wore a lot of different hats at CartRev. Can you kind of talk about, like, that progression and what that was like for you um, to work in a lot of different units? Yeah, it was fun. So my mind, the way it works, and if we're going back to the reading book example, I like to read five books at a time or five or more. And the reason is I get bored of one book and I just jump to another book and jump back to that. So I figured I was at the startup. There's obviously it's a small team startup, so there's plenty of needs to fill. And I was in a very fortunate situation and not only was the team qualified, but we were in an incubator in um, Santa Monica. So there's a bunch, so what an incubator is, it's like there's one main VC, they offer spacing to startups in their portfolio. So like we had our startup cluster um, liquid death bottled water was like our neighbors and there's just startups all nice. around so that's access at a young age to a lot of successful entrepreneurs so obviously I'm just like hey you do you want to grab some lunch hey you do you want to grab some lunch hey you do you want to grab some coffee and so i just kind of accumulated all the information and i just tried a bunch of stuff whatever works works whatever doesn't doesn't and you just continuously optimize that process yeah so you know given that you know you worked in marketing worked in product and I think, you know, for me, I think of growth maybe as like a, as a hybrid child of the two, uh, kind of what experiences or, or things did do you remember taking away from, you know, working in marketing, working in product that now leads you to this uh, space where you're, where you're working in growth? Yeah. So actually you're, uh, we almost had the exact same definition of growth. It's I view it as a hybrid of marketing sales and product. So for example, I view growth, my, my personal definition is the growth of the Tropics license holder value. So whatever I can do to make the value of that license grow, that's what I'll do. A lot of times it has to do with product and marketing. And in terms of startups, it's obviously there's a bunch of different needs. So you can jump in and do a bunch of stuff, just shadow the mm -hmm. right people and then learn from them, take what works for them, try to apply it to your life. It works. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And so, you know, now working at CartRev for a few years, um, you know, you switch over from, from marketing to, to product. Uh, what did you kind of learn that, and, and this next step of just solely focusing on product that, you know, as a marketer, you weren't seeing, like what, what was the key, key, I guess, switch that kind of clicked? So the key, the key switch that clicked is dealing with marketing people and dealing with the dev environment is a hundred percent different. 
So from marketing, it's all not, not fluff. It's always like telling the story, pitching the dream, whatever. Whereas dealing with like a dev or a dev team, like going through the Jira board, getting things across, you have to be very direct and very specific. Yeah, that makes sense. So like what kind of, you know, what kind of things did you focus on then like internally? Were, were there, you know, the messaging that you did to your team was different, the way you communicated? How did you kind of go about like solving for that difference? Oh, so the, the you have to learn how to interact with an, an engineer versus a marketing associate. They're completely different. Like, what, you, what would you say? What would you say makes them different? Like, what are the kind of like things that things that you're doing? Uh, personality type. So, for example, marketing. Like, it's an interesting cross because a lot of times dev doesn't know what marketing does, and marketing doesn't know what the dev are doing. So you have to bridge the gap between the two and learn how to speak both languages. So, for example, like. When you're mark when you're in marketing, you're from a marketing perspective. You're like, come on, dev, why is this simple feature not ready? It's it's a button. You're changing a color, and the dev on the dev side, you're just like, okay, come on, guys, we're not seeing sales. This feature is a lot. You have to do a bunch of regression testing. It's not as simple as switching the color. So communicating and making everyone on the same page is very helpful. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I know that a lot of times, you know, I think now now a lot of new companies are trying to. Um, make these two, you know, functions work hand in hand. But I've seen that, like, in the past, they've been pretty siloed, you know, working separately. And I think that there's, like you mentioned, a lot of uh, lack of communication that actually leads to, to worse off results. So I guess, like, you know, taking that experience going forward, like, what were things that you tried to do moving forward to make sure that there was that bridge there? Oh, so it's very, it's actually very simple and <laughs> definitely not complicated at all. We just try to include marketing dev and in, so we try to include dev, dev ops in our, sales meetings so they see what's going on and the big issue in the startup land like as a dev imagine like for example you know devs are mostly remote from different countries you're just kind of sitting behind a keyboard you're coding you hear stuff is going on the business side but you don't really see what's happening you don't see the deals going forward all you see is the finished deal that sometimes falls through so including the dev in the business side to show them that oh the product's actually moving forward we're actually grinding we're making sales we're doing marketing is great for them to see and that inspires them and from the dev side, including sales and marketing on the dev standup. So we have our, we have our daily standups for both. So having mm -hmm. a cross team standup where on the dev side, it's obviously optional if the sales can make it. If not, they can't, if they can, great. But then from the dev side, having sales on the dev meeting, it's helpful because dev is building the product, whereas sales, you're the one demoing to the client. So you have a better understanding of what the client needs. So therefore you can better optimize the product to increase sales. So it's, it's really just like one big hole in effect where we're all part of the same team where if dev doesn't like, yeah. Gotcha. So that makes sense. So including like these cross-functional teams in, in these meetings to allow for, you know, I guess more empathy, right? Like you mentioned, you know, I've, I handle sales and marketing. So sometimes I'll wonder like, why, why are my, yeah. why are my guys so what, not, not ship, shipping product? Where, you know where's what I'm saying? Where's this feature? <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and it, it can be frustrating until you actually empathize and understand all the, you know, all the thinking that goes behind building, you know, building something great and I, I definitely I definitely feel that pain I think as, as our team scales like that's something we'll try to do is making sure that you know everyone is at least hearing some parts of the different meetings so that we have a fully yeah. fuller fuller scope of what's going on you know as, as the entire organization yeah and that honestly just helps everyone my suggestion would be to make it optional you don't want to force a mandatory meeting down someone's throat but like yeah. hey if you want to go you can yeah that makes sense and then you know even outside of the meetings you know something that I always hear is like you know you know, at least at least great PMs are, are listening to what their customers are asking for, and listening to their pains, and using that to iterate. Um, you know, how can 
the dev on the other side is, is just hearing this through through the voice of the PM, and they're not really getting to touch points with the customers. Have you ever you know, done any work to make your devs ha have those conversations and sit down with customers or do a little bit more feedbacking on that sense? So in terms of that specific feature, you hit the nail right on the head. Our pro like The best thing about product in general is if there's something wrong with the product, the customer will tell you. And that's a great chance for you to log that and iterate that. So what I personally like to do is I like to BCC devs on sales emails just so they see how we're talking about it. And they're like, okay, I got an email, I'm included. I like to include devs on calls as much as possible as well. But hey, if you're gonna jump on this call, it's with this brand. We could always use a tech expert on the call. You're free to jump in. So it's really just creating an inclusive environment. Gotcha. Wow, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think the BCC yeah. thing is like such a simple thing that you can do yeah, that I feel like goes goes a long way. And w one thing I do like to do is... um we're pretty active in Discord where I like to post the positive feedback, like positive sales customer feedback in the dev channel because it's like, I didn't build this. This is, this is, this is you guys. Good job. Yeah. And, and almost, I think almost as important is like the, the devs are usually the ones hearing what's going wrong. Like fix this oh, yeah. bug, like, like what's not working correctly. What do we need to improve? And I think that's like a really nice small win to give, you know, for like you said, they're the ones actually building it. Um, so I, I really love that. Definitely going to steal that one. And then that encourages the environment where I, I think we both deal with it. Sort of like, where is this feature? It helps you understand mm -hmm. the dev process. So for example, like recently, one part of our technology wasn't working function. It was like, okay, we have a brand launching this week. It should be an easy fix, right? But it turns out in regression testing, you have to, they had to rebuild like a massive portion of the code because of one change in the back end. So it's like, okay, it's not an easy fix. And I would, in my mind, I'm just like, come on, just fix the button make the contract deploy, but they're just like, okay, no, and this is why. It's like, okay, I get it. And now we're yeah. just postponing it, so we're good. That makes sense. That, that's that's cool to hear. So I guess, you know, you mentioned what ShopX does, um, but, you know, for you, what was that transition like from CartRev to ShopX? First of all, what would you say kind of uh, pushed you to, to leave and, and look for a new opportunity, and uh, what excited you about, about the future of ShopX? So for the transition was seamless. It's been the same team. So okay. we just kind of rolled with the punches. What excites me about ShopX is my personal ethos. So my goal in life is to have a nice, peaceful life. I can't do that if the money system is corrupt. And I view cryptocurrency as a solution to that. And just so you know, I was a, I was a long time maxi for a while. So I'm going hard with that. Mm -hmm. And rather than try to annoy my family at Christmas or Thanksgiving and say, hey, you guys need to buy Bitcoin, which eventually did after years. My mom's treasure was named Lady Treasure, which is cute. I think it's more effective for me if I onboard a major brand into the ShopX ecosystem. They use, use our services to create a NFT with e-commerce utility. And the cool thing about that is that in, then like a non-crypto person will want to buy that NFT, not for the hype, not for the crypto, because honestly, crypto UI is really annoying. They'll buy it for the e-commerce benefit that NFT comes with. And then once you have the NFT, that's a zero to one moment for a lot of people. So that's just my view on things. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. So if I'm understanding correctly, it's like, you know, your your goal has, uh, you, you see problems with the money system right now and think that crypto is a way to, to alleviate those problems, but it starts with actually educating people and, and making it something that has utility in society. So by going to consumers, going to brands and providing them utility with that, you can kind of, open their eyes into this world of, of Web3. Yeah, so I wouldn't say it's about educating people. I, we we want to educate people to the point where they want to educate themselves. Because I'm pretty sure you're into crypto. I think you know, like, you can't just keep spamming Bitcoin facts at them. They really just have to 
research it on their own time on their own path. Yeah, but once once they do, sense. once they do, they do, and then got them. Yeah, and it's, I think it's interesting that like I think once once you hit that curve of like um, you know understanding like what is what does Bitcoin do like what is crypto like you're sucked into the rabbit hole. You'll you'll spend a lot of time just going exploring all the different crevices. I think that's that's the beauty, beauty and, of Web three. And the best way to do that is to get skin in the game. You're not going to look into crypto until you actually have some crypto, and then the price goes up, the price goes down, and that fluctuation is what draws a lot of people in. You come for the gains, you stay for the principles, is what people like to say. Gotcha. That makes sense. And so, okay, so now we're we, we're moving over from Cartwright to ShopX, the same team, um, like you mentioned, rolling with the punches. Same same core team. Obviously, um, okay. There's a, there's high turnover rate. We use a bunch of different like DevOps. We outsource a lot of like Dev work, marketing work. So, same core okay. team, but like same yeah, core team. So the, so the same core team. Yeah. Apologies. Um, but you know now it's this new challenge of, you know bringing it to these bigger brands, right? Like, what was that kind of like having to, um, you know, that sales motion of going to these enterprises and stuff like that? Like, you know, starting starting from a small team or these humble beginnings, like, what was that strategy like? Um, in terms of challenge, I don't reward that as if it is an opportunity to go to bigger brands. So it's honestly been pretty fun, like me personally, and we work with big brands, but we also work with smaller brands. I think what really drives mass adoption is getting the long tail of smaller brands to so make it easy for them to work with work in the Web3 space. In terms of dealing with the bigger brands, it's a continuous learning process. I'm learning the higher up you go, the more you have to deal with, like in terms of legal and all that stuff. When educating a big brand, and this will change in the future once um, the market sentiment switches, but right now, imagine me going up to the C-suite level of a pretty large brand they're like okay why would we want to do nfts aren't they all scams and i just have to say like i mean 95 percent of them are scams and they're like okay do i care yeah. about a 500k monkey they're like i don't particularly care about a 500k monkey and so what we're doing is we're actually changing our verbiage and from nft to e-commerce nft so an nft is like think of board apes think of crypto mm -hmm. punks, think of anything like that and nft enft e is an nft with e-commerce value so the value is derived from the e-commerce utility versus the hype. And another switch we did is I, I personally, depends who I'm talking to, like I'll look into them. If they understand crypto, it's obviously a much easier sell because if they understand that they're usually into it, I'm like, oh, do just mint, deploy your NFT, get ETH. But if they're completely new to crypto, I, I like to call them passes. That's just kind of what worked for me. Like their membership passes in Web3. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Mm, I got you. So, so changing that messaging slightly. I guess just just to put some more context going into the rest of this conversation, um, you know, you mentioned ReserveX a little bit, but can you just give us in the audience like a quick rundown of the the different products that um, ShopX offers so that we're all on the same page? Sure. So a quick rundown, and I can get into more detail if you want. ReserveX is NFT powered loyalty programs. SquadX is a first ever blockchain based ambassador program that pays in Ethereum, and SourceX I think is coming in the future is inventory management powered by NFTs or ENFTs. Gotcha. So I guess first talking about ReserveX, um, I saw a lot of cool things about like bot prevention and fraud prevention. You know, as, as, a, as a high schooler a few years ago, like the, oh. shoe, the shoe drop oh, game a, was crazy. You are the, the shoe drop game? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, not, not personally, but like my, my friends yeah. were. And, you know, it was, it was super easy to get. You know, everyone is like loading up five different laptops like to get oh, to yeah. get the drop and you know you just get you run out of luck because all these bots and um yeah i i would i would love to hear kind of like what that strategy was like um with the with uh, reserve x and, and that in that vertical 
So in terms of ReserveX, um, I'll go over the like how many brands. Are you, so ReserveX has over 400 brands who download the Shopify app. It's a NFT powered loyalty program for Shopify and WooCommerce. Some of our major brands include Fox's Show, Mass Singer, and Kapopolis. I just had to get that out there. But our awesome. first case study circles back to the conversation. Our first client was the Mag Park in Los Angeles. So what they are, they're a custom shoe and hat wear. And their big problem is as soon as they put out their inventory, they get bought it hard. So whenever they put out their inventory, they're sold out within seconds. So the problem with that is they're loyal customers who are fans. Like it's a, the guy who owns, Mickey's the guy who owns the business. He's close to this community because he's a born and raised in LA at the community. Like they look up to him. So like imagine you're a 16 year old kid. You can't get your hat because some bought person bought the hat within seconds and then just flipped on the secondary market for like 10 times the profit. So the solution for that is what he did is he launched a gold, bronze, silver style pass with pink mocha as the gold, world famous as the um, silver and I forget the last one, but there's a third tier. Mm-hmm. So that was for his loyal, loyal community. So the pink mocha pass, he sold 125 passes in less than 24 hours. And the cool thing about that is over 50% of the crypto users were brand new to crypto, so they had no ETH, no wallet, but they're excited to learn and they bought the pass because they wanted the e-commerce benefit of accessing his products early before the bots. Sometimes you get free products, sometimes it's discounted, it's a bunch of stuff, whatever he wants. So the cool thing about that is if you go to his website and you try to purchase a token-gated product that requires a pink mocha pass, if you don't have the NFT, you'll get rejected before checkout. But if you have the NFT, you go onto the, um, we scan your wall, we ensure you have the right NFT. Then you go onto the checkout per usual. So whatever retention emails you have still far off. So if the bot doesn't have the NFT in the wallet, it can't get to the checkout. That's effectively blocking bots. And during our testing phase, so Mickey's a very successful businessman. So obviously um, he knows a bunch of, you know, like there's the pre- professional botting community. Yeah. So we, we hired or we were like, hey guys, they're actually super fun to interact with just as people because they're super trolly, but they're super smart, but you can tell they're really DJ. Like it's just, it's a fun group. So like, yeah, guys, try and buy this. And they just couldn't do it. So from the back, from the, and they said it was better than Nike, but that's their opinion, not mine. So on the back end of the Shopify store, you can see your products. You can see which, so you can see every time a reserve pass product was purchased. So that's for your data analytics, but also equally importantly, you can see every bot prevention. It just gotcha. says ReserveX bot detected, no product for you. Wow, that's 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 very cool. I think it's also uh, the next generation of of um, hype beasts are, are thanking you as as we speak. Oh yeah. Um, um, but I guess like something interesting there is you know, in that in that kind of um, in that kind of scenario, there's there's really two two key stakeholders. It's not just Mickey and you know um, the actual store or the brand itself. But it's the consumers. And so, you know, when building product or growing, like, how are you working to make sure that, you know, all of their needs are met? And do you have to make priorities, any trade-offs? Like, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so honestly, the in my opinion, brands are super important, obviously. Brands are great. But the consumer is the most important factor. Imagine we pitch Mickey or some other big brand. Like, we have this fantastic product. It increases customer retention. It increases conversion rates. It prevents bots exactly. And like, yeah, let's sign up. Then they launch their pass and no consumer purchases because like, this is difficult, I don't get it. And then obviously then the whole project fails for both brand and ShopX. So the way to, um, so what we do is we're simply a technology platform. So we wanna help educate the brand as much as possible 
on how to educate their consumer in that whole process. So we have a guideline like, okay, you're gonna want these videos, but it's different coming from me, like me doing a screen recording on how to mint the NFT versus the brand. So we provide them the base of the education materials. And then from there, they educate their customers, but we, we encourage them to like create a discord, like just be friendly, it's a community. It's a new way for your brand to create a, to interact with your community. Gotcha. That makes sense. And I, I think that something that I've noticed in, in Web3 products is like, and just in the Web3 space is that community is like, a, is a, it's almost like it's new vertical. It's like, it's very important to the success, I think, because of the way it builds trust and, and the fact that a lot of these products have to do with sharing rewards or creating communities themselves. So um, for, for in that in that scenario, like, how do you, how do you like make sure that you're either empowering these brands to make their communities or just in general having your product be, I guess, community centric? So the thing about this is reserve pass is a technology. So different brands are doing it in different ways. So mm -hmm. for example, Mickey was doing the thing where um, gold, silver, bronze style pass. We had a, we're having a television show. What they're doing is they're um, minting a pass for a one-time product. So you can do your makeup in real time with the first, um, like in the first show, you can do your makeup with the main character as she does it with the, with the cool little box or something like that. So, and brands are at different stages. Like for example, Mickey had a disco or he created a disco for it because his hyper brand, they, um, they do well. So, but that won't work for like a makeup or beauty brand. Like, Hey, um, teenage girls jump into discord now. <laughs> yeah. So it, it really depends. Each, each brand is going to build their community different. The only thing we can do is offer best practices and brands in their similar field and then be as supportive as you can in terms of technical crypto web three questions. Gotcha. And so, um, you know, I think this leaves like an interesting challenge for y'all. So like outside of, you know, actually growing and selling to more brands, like how do you track like whether a brand is successful with ReserveX? Like what are the kind of the metrics that you're looking at, like adoption, usage, like stuff like that? Um, and because it's, it's almost like you're handing it off to them, right? And, and your job is maybe to empower them and make sure that they're being successful, but it's not something you directly control. So it's, I think it's a, maybe a more interesting problem than maybe some other products. Yeah, so the thing is, not every brand is going to be success successful. In fact, I encourage brands to try a bunch of stuff, and whatever works for them, works for them. Whatever doesn't, doesn't. But in terms of our main KPIs, I would say our big three, like, let's say I'm, we're talking with one brand, brand A, we're seeing if brand A is successful. I would say number of mints are, like number of times they mint, so if they're a repeat customer, they mint one pass, that's great, but if they mint multiple passes, that's even better. Whether or not their mints sell out, and whether or not their customers are actually using the passes to mint products. So that's it. Those would be the three KPIs we'd look for in brand success. And if gotcha. fourth one as a bonus is if they're willing to refer a couple brands to us. Yeah, that's that. I guess leads to an, another interesting question: is like, um, I, I feel like in Web three, I think trust trust is definitely a big thing, or even just any new technology. So, um, how are you? Like you mentioned referrals. Like how how is that going? How do you make sure that? you're putting yourself in a, in a position to be referred because I think those referrals are what we're seeing, like the strongest leads, the strongest type of conversions. They, they are. So in terms of brand referrals, um, we're friendly with all our brands. So they have no problem referring us. We're in a very good fortune. Like our team is highly talented. So in terms of personal networks, we get tons of brands that way. But I think my favorite source of brand referrals is, it leads into our next project or product quite well, which is Squad X. And that's our the ShopX ambassador program that pays out in ETH. So if you're a ShopX ambassador, you hold the ShopX licenses, you get paid in ETH for helping our ecosystem grow. 
So and the way that system works is brand mints the pass. The brand has control of 95% of where the revenue goes in terms of vaults. So like, okay, if you're working with an agency, they can give them a cut, influencer, give them a cut, but they control 95% of that. ShopX earns 5% on the mint and half of that, so 2.5% of the total brand mint, we put in a pool and then we pay all our community members who hold the licenses, who stake to join our program or help us grow. So that incentivizes the more brands we have, the more mints we have, the more ETH all ShopX members earn. Thus that creates a general, like my personal goal is creating something called groundswell. Whereas like if I email whatever Nike or Adidas, they'll probably just ignore me. But if their customers are the ones who want that, they're not gonna ignore that. So it creates a groundswell going up the chain and as well from a high level referral point, we get, we get them going down the chain. Plus wow, that, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun too. I, I like, we like giving ETH their community cause they get all happy. And I'm also a squad X member, so I get ETH, so I get all happy. It's, it's a good time. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I think that's such a, it's, I think it's such a unique thing about, um, about cryptos, the way that like you can really incentivize, align everyone's incentives by using like the, these pools and like allowing people to stake. And, you know, I wonder, I mean, maybe this is a little bit of a curveball in the future if other brands or other, other companies who are not in Web3 um, use like crypto as a way to align incentives to encourage community. Uh, if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I would love to see um, me as a crypto, my, my, like, my, like I said, my angle is to drive crypto mass adoption. If a major brand were to adopt the ShopX squad model in the sense they like all their ambassadors, like they have 30 ambassadors, they stake their Lululemon token. And then every day, same or every month at a set time period, they send Ethereum into the smart contract. It automatically divides into the ambassadors for doing their own work. That'd be fantastic. Or if like I say a company that you can even do that for payroll, where it's like, okay, you have seven employees, you're all getting paid equally, send an ETH to the contract, the contract disperses it. Wow. Yeah, I, I think that that kind of future would be, um, I, I'd be, I'd, I'd also would be interested in, in being part of those pools. I think your upside, and it's like you know, in that employee example, like, you know, if it's if it's like a revenue share of total revenue or something like that, you know, you're you're encouraged yeah. now to to work harder to to put out a better output because you know those rewards are coming back to you. Yeah, so exactly. I think just yeah, the way the way it aligns incentives is beautiful. Exactly. Let's say you have four salespeople who are working with um, your um, AI technology, and then those four people share their incentives. So all the extra revenue you guys have, their team, it gets paid in ETH, and then every at every step period, it's like, okay, this is what you guys earned. You send it back to them, and they get ETH. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I think so. Hopefully, hopefully that that kind of technology becomes ubiquitous to where to yeah. where you can do that. That's um, a, I think that's one of my yeah. favorite parts about Web three is um, it's composable, which means everyone's working together. So if we solve that problem. I'm sure you guys can just either copy it or probably even optimize and make it better to suit your needs. So we're mm -hmm. on the same team here. Yeah, I love it. Um, so, so you mentioned, right, like your role as growth is maybe a little bit different than like somebody at my company who'd be doing growth or someone in just Web2 because, you know, you said you're maximizing token holder value. So what are like the kind of components of that? I'd love to hear like even from a traditional side of just getting more customers to as well as making sure you know the product, there's more mints, stuff like that. Yeah, so, um, and my role's growth is to uh, maximize tokenized software license value. Um, so whatever that means is what I mean. So I have experience with sales and products. So a lot of times I'll do like this, sometimes I'll run the standups, like the weekly standups if, if the main guy can't run in. 
So I deal with so I, my role is a hybrid. So I deal with a lot of the customers in the sales role. So I'm I'm full I'm full cycle salesman. I get the lead, I can get the referral, I can close the brand, and then I can do the customer success side after they do the mint to make them successful. I take that feedback from the customer because at that point I become homies with the customers. Like okay, we're friends, and like and people love to give their opinions. Like okay, what sucked and what was well, and then I feed that mm-hmm. back to the dev. And since I'm on the standups daily. It's more. It's better if someone gives that feedback if they're on the daily standups doing the QA with them, versus some sales guys just never shows me. By the way, this is what we need to do. So it creates that whole team environment. Yeah. Um, and speaking on like you know how you're taking the feedback and going back to the devs and then you know hopefully iterating to make the product or the experience better. Um, have there been ways that you've been able to systemize that to make sure that you know your your team is is moving quickly and trying to ship quickly and feedback quickly? Yeah, so we, we utilize Jira. So obviously there's a board, there's different boards like in different stages of the product. So product idea, stage one, stage two, stage three, testing, ship. So what I like to do is we have a we have a pretty big product backlog. And so I go through that with the, we can go through that with the devs, get a timetable. And if it's a product feedback from the customer or a, even a community member, I get the actual time timetable, relay, relay that back to the, customer community member because they're important as well because as they tokenize software license we want them to be happy and they're happy that they're getting listened to and that they're getting actual feedback so it's not just like ignoring them the devs are happy because they know where it's coming from so yeah really just board everything up and move sequentially gotcha that makes sense and then you know so in terms of maybe experimentation right like figuring out you know like what what parts are going to work well and what doesn't um, you know, you're in a situation where you have the stakeholders of not only the brands, and, but also the customers. So is there like another layer of, you know, maybe um, like a higher bar that you have to pass to experiment or like another layer of layer of trust? Like uh, how do you kind of balance like that, that moving fast, but also, also keeping that trust? So our general philosophy is crawl, walk, crawl, walk, run. So try a bunch of different stuff. So, and we actually got, I actually got this from them creating like, you know, like paid ads where you'll try five different ads for like a dollar, $5 a campaign, tweak one feature, see which one does best. And then whatever one does best, you just put more money into that until a better idea comes up. So what we like to do is try, try something like tr- have free reign to try something out on a small level, because honestly, if it's your idea, you think it'll work, it'll be more likely to work and then get feedback from that and be quick to realize what doesn't work and just stop doing that, but then focus on what's working. Gotcha. That makes sense. Are there any other, you know, philosophies or, or models that you have that, that you can share um, from from the company perspective? Yeah, we're pretty anti-fragile. I mean, um, go with, I, I like to go with the flow. So don't go against the grain. If something's not working, don't force it to work. Try a different path. That's more likely to work. Anti-fragile means that the more stretches the system goes through, the stronger it gets. And so whenever the technology, like for example, ReserveX doesn't work for whatever technical reason in the back end, we, we realize that immediately and then implement the, fa- the, the fix quick and now our system is stronger. So in that sense, bugs are good. I think in entrepreneurship or whatever, it's just worked for me is speed is super important. So for example, if I, someone sends me an email, I'm not gonna wait an hour to respond to the email. I respond to like right there, get things done, move fast, change, change direction. Yeah. Sure. That's that makes sense. I think the even like even outside of team communication, I think like something that I've noticed personally is like 
if you're responding really fast to customer emails as well, it's like some of them are, are surprised that you that customer service can actually be good. Um, at least that I've seen, they, they, they like like when you like respond very promptly. Uh, uh, sometimes, some some a personal tactic I like to do is I like to match the tone of the email. So someone's okay. giving me like a day response with like a couple words. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm not going to be like, okay, here's the semi sentence. I'm not going to be like a paragraph. It's like, hey, thank you for reaching out. I'm just going to match their tone and then lead them to excitement. So like, if you were giving me an unenthusiastic email, I respond. Not no one's rude, but unenthusiastically as well and so we're on the same level and i can lead your emotional state to where i want to be so that works better obviously on the phone but that's just mm-hmm. something i like i like to do why why is that why is that effective why not you know maybe be the one who sets the tone or creates the energy maybe the positive energy or something like that why is that strategy uh think about it this way if i'm if i'm really angry and you come in really happy i'd be like dude what <laughs> Whereas if you come, I'm really angry, and then you come and pissed off too. It's like ah, oh, like this, and then you can take my tone down, and then lead me to happy. Uh, I see. Okay, so so match them for a second, but know that the end goal is like we're moving towards maybe a happier place. Like we're on the same team. Like in our happy, yeah. angry example, it's like I want to be happy. You want me to be happy, but you know if you come and be like, hey, dude, the, <laughs> the, the weather's amazing. I'm like, dude, shut up. <laughs> it's just not gonna work. Yeah. Plus, um, yeah. I, I like to I like to attract versus chase. So okay. I keep that in mind. Gotcha. Very cool. So I guess moving away from ReserveX and kind of coming to the close um, of this pod, where do you, like, what are you excited about in the future of Web3? Like, where do you see that's going? And like, what does that, what does that perfect world look like for you that in maybe 10, 15 years, um, this has happened thanks to Web3? Uh, so I don't, I view every, like the world is perfect now, in my opinion. Well, maybe not perfect. It's just the way it's supposed to be. In five, I view Web3 as a way for us to, so the way I view Web1, Web2, Web3 is read is Web1 so you can read content. Web2 is you can read and write content. So think of like Instagram, think of YouTube, think of Facebook. Whereas we can all create content for those platforms. People can read our content, but the downside is Facebook and Instagram are monetizing that and they can cancel us at any time. Web3 is read, write, and you can own. So we can, I can create my NFT, you can read my NFT, both of us can own that NFT and we can't get canceled. Right now, and I view Web3 as a way to speed up crypto general mass adoption, back to my earlier goal of having a nice peaceful life. So right now I view us as a point where NFTs and crypto in terms of general UI is pretty terrible. Like your grandma is not gonna get an NFT or buy some Bitcoin on the treasure, it's not gonna happen. So Web3 will offer the incentives for the major brands to figure out the UI issues and onboard their customers because the brands will make money and that's just a way for us to speed up Web3 mass adoption. So in four years, if Web3 is working correctly, it's going to be like the internet in the sense, like my mom will have an NFT. She doesn't even need to know what an NFT is. All she needs to know mm-hmm. is she gets her makeup at a discount. She's like, oh, gotcha. nice, I got to make a discount. But yeah. yes, mother, you do. Good job, mother. That, that's cool. Um, that's interesting. I, I like wonder, right, like, you know, outside of what ShopX is doing or any specific company, like, what are those things that have to that have to change in Web three, like the technology, the education, the adoption, to make sure that that becomes a reality? Uh, I would say the obviously in all of crypto, the to, what needs to change is the UI. I'm sure if you've been in crypto, even dealing with like imagine talking to someone how to bridge tokens from different chains and telling mm-hmm. like, oh the money is not there. What, where's my money? Well, you have to go on Reddit and find this one stream from some guy who posted like three months ago. So it has to be A, easy to use, which is, will get solved. 
and B, there has to be incentive for people to actually use it. Because if you don't have both those, it'll fail. So if you have incentive for people to use it, but it's too difficult, people are like, nah, F this. But if people have, yeah, if it's, if people, and, and vice versa. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the utility is super important because I, one of the reasons that I personally never adopted maybe some of those PFP NFTs is just because I didn't feel like I had enough utility from, from what I was giving up. So like, that's why I really enjoyed hearing about ShopX. Like it felt like there was like a specific thing that, you know, all these stakeholders, the benefits that they're receiving. And, you know, I, I definitely hope that, you know, moving forward that more, more Web3, more Web3 companies will kind of take that same philosophy. And companies and individuals as well. So one of our use cases of ReserveX was an actual, he's a husky on Instagram and we all love dogs. Mm-hmm. So what he did is he had his, he had a community, but he didn't have a product yet. So he launched his pass prior to the release of his product. He got proof of concept, got some cash, created his product, and then gave the benefits to his community later. So imagine you're an up and coming artist. It's your first show. No one's going, like you have your 10 people going, like 20 people. You launch a pass for those people saying, thank you for supporting me. Here's this pass. They do it because they like you and they, they have the pass now. And now you have a new way to connect with them. So it creates a bilateral stream of value. 20 years later, since it's Coachella weekend, you're on the main stage. Like, you guys are my OGs. Thank you for coming out. Here's some e-commerce benefits. Here's backstage passes. All airdrop to your wallet because you supported me because you guys now have a relationship. From the sports side of tickets are NFTs. We're there when LeBron passes Michael Jordan in points. The ticket's not NFT. It's proof of attendance. There's proof on the blockchain that you attended the game. Instead of getting like a bobblehead or whatever they normally do, you can get an airdrop NFT for that specific event which could unlock, and this is me just spitballing here because I'm just rambling, mm. but that can unlock yeah. specific merch to that specific event. Gotcha. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. I think uh, rewarding and unlocking are, were the two words that I heard that like, I, I can definitely see like, how there's a path to that moving forward and, and kind of um, making that systematic. Um, I, guess, I guess so, uh, last few questions. Um, you know, about Eric yourself personally, like what do you want like kind of the the audience to kind of remember? Like if if there's one thing that they should remember or they should do, like what what do you think it would be? Oh, if I were you, I'm not you, so I can't give you advice. The only person I can give advice to is me because I know me best. Um, I would just be as authentic as possible. Like you, Vedan, any of your audience members listening, just be your authentic self. And I think with this way, in terms of being Eric, like I may not be the best salesperson, I know I'm very good. I may be the best product. I know I'm very good, but there's people better. But in terms of being Eric, I'm number one in the world. And in terms of being Vedan, you're number one in the world. So why would I be something where I'm not number one, where I can be number one? And that generates a whole bunch of things. Like I go into every meeting, like it just increases confidence. And if you're authentic, back to that point of attraction, if you're authentic, you'll attract who you're meant to attract. Meaning a lot of the business I do is just me being my natural self. And they come to me and you, if I CC'd you on the emails, you could tell it's a very chill vibe because I'm a chill person. So I'm attracting who I'm meant to attract, which makes uh, business more natural with a more natural flow of things. And I'm also repelling the people I'm meant to repel. Nothing bad on them. I'm sure they're great people trying their best. It just is, it won't work easily. So that saves us both time. So it's yeah. a filtration system as well. Gotcha. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, you're the best, Eric. I'm the best, Vedant. And... Um, whoever in the audience is the best themselves. I think that's something that no matter how hard anybody works at, they can't be better at you than being yeah. you. So um, that's the one advantage we'll always have and definitely should use it to our, to our best uh, ability. One, one thing I do like to do is optimize everything in your life. Just be conscious of what you're doing. Like an example I like to think about is 
it's more encompassing, but like think about the food you eat. I eat food A, I feel this way later. So know that there's a connection. I'm like, okay, if I eat food A, I feel good. Maybe I want to eat more food A, something along those lines. Or if I talk to person A, I feel this way after. Maybe good, maybe bad, but just be conscious. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, I like that too. Um, very cool. Thanks so much, Eric, for your time, um, this awesome conversation. Enjoyed learning about your story, about ShopX, about even you know what we consider the future of Web3. And I think that if there's more companies like ShopX in the world, I think we're be- building to, to a better place. Um, I'll, leave, I'll leave your, your uh, LinkedIn in the comments as well as um, – or sorry, in the show notes as well as uh, more information about ShopX so that our audience can check it out. Um, yeah, if there's anything else, uh, any, anything else you want to plug, feel free to. Um, no, I just I hope everyone just has a wonderful day and a better life. Awesome. All right. Well, see you, see you later, guys. Um, thanks so much. This has been the fifth episode of the Kai Podcast. I'm Vedant, your host. Um, and, yeah, thanks, Eric, for joining us. Yeah, of course. Anytime.